Episode 66 of Fitness Behaviour of Bevan James Isles. What do you give up? Team, welcome along to episode 66 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime of love of fitness and all the benefits that come alongside it. Welcome along. I'm, I'm actually currently in Taipei right now, and um, when they put me up in Taipei, I, the hotels in Taipei are slightly different. I'm in this very small hotel room with, well, it's, it's actually not that interesting. I'm, I'm not sure if you guys really want to hear that much about my hotel room but the one thing that's really weird about my hotel room which I have to share with you guys is that the bedroom is pretty much the same size as the bathroom so it's almost like they've split the room in half and divided the bathroom and and the bedroom split and it just doesn't make much sense to me I'm not much of an architectural designer but I have to say you don't need that much bathroom and you probably need a bit more bedroom but that's okay I'll I'll survive I'm over here doing a little bit of work and then I'm going to be heading back home for the rest of the year which is really kind of cool uh this month's show is this uh, episode is the Bevan episode where I'm just going to share some thoughts on things that have been happening in areas that I think that maybe you'd be worth considering in your life um I'm going to talk a little bit about last episode, uh, the interview of Michaeli, the author of Flow, uh, hopefully you've had a listen to it, it was, uh, again, as I've said through, you know, the last few shows leading into it, and before the, I did the interview, it was, it was an interesting interview because uh, it, it was very much like sitting down with my grandfather and just hearing an amazing life story, and, and one thing it got me thinking about is, how do you interact with the older people in your life, and it's a really interesting kind of discussion or thought to have within your life because it seems to be we want to impress the younger people and we want to dismiss the older people now that's a very big stereotype to put on everyone and I'm sure it's not entirely true in all situations but it is something maybe maybe it's only my experience of life but when I think about your interactions our interactions we have with younger people it's almost like there's this need to prove ourselves to them, maybe to the younger people, you know, there's, I remember there's a good example, oh, years ago I was, there's a girl, a lady who comes to the gym, and uh, a really lovely lady who's, who's got a real kind of nice energy about her, and, you know, has been a consistent gym goer for years, and I went to her school to teach some fitness one day, and it was really clear that she felt it was important to be respected by the students and and be respected as in they should be impressed by who I am now don't get me wrong it wasn't it wasn't an arrogant kind of uh, desire for respect it was more of a oh, I want to be a part of the cool club that's I'm not quite sure if that's the best way to put it but it was this kind of this need for them to understand that she was successful in the thing that I was doing so you know, I was there representing exercise, and because I was kind of there in the context where I was the outsider coming in in a fun way, they were very accepting of me. And this person here, uh, probably because she was a teacher in a much different role, didn't necessarily have that respect. And to be honest, she is a lady who's a little bit overweight, so she probably felt she needed to prove to the kids that she put a lot of effort into her exercise, which she does. Um, but it was just a really interesting moment where. I was like, wow, she really, really has this need 
to be accepted by these kids, not as a teacher, but as in for them to see that she's successful. And it's, I felt in some ways it's almost a dangerous situation for her to be in because, let's be honest, teenagers generally aren't going to give you that respect. And, you know, this thing that she was seeking was probably going to be something she was never going to get and probably would make her feel disappointed. Another side of it as well is to always think of, and I, and I love this concept of who am I trying to impress? And and to be honest, when we think about teenagers, they're very much in a very self-absorbed moment in their life where, again, I'm, I'm stereotyping here, guys. There's obviously teenagers who aren't, and there's, there's levels of what I'm talking about. And there's also levels of this bigger concept of, you know, do we seek more attention or more desire to be accepted from those younger than us than those older than us? But, you know, it's a really interesting thing to think about in life is who am I trying to impress? Like, who who are the, the people that I'm trying to impress? And when maybe you need to contemplate, are those people really worth me putting my energy in trying to impress? And in this situation, it just seemed that was a bit of... I know I'm totally putting my judgment on her in this situation, but I just didn't know if that was the best use of her energy in her life, trying to impress people who, A, probably were never going to give her the acceptance she desired, but B, also that when you looked at where they were in their life, they were probably lost, confused, um, you know, all over the place. So why was it that she would even want to put too much energy into seeking the approval of those people? It's I, I, I do love that concept of who am I trying to impress? You know, like... I think ultimately we'd all like to say that I'm my own person and that the influence or the opinion of others does not affect us, but I, I very much doubt that is true for most of us. I think that most of us do really gauge the opinion of others in the way we act in our life. And it's a really good concept to understand that how do, who am I trying to impress? And, and are those types of people who I'm trying to impress do they actually have, do they look at me in a way that's going to make me move down the path that's right for me? Or does the way they look at the world or the way they see me, the box they put me in, actually something that would push me away from behaviors that aren't good for me? I have to admit, in my world, I kind of have this a little bit. I, I live in a world very fortunate that I've kind of achieved some goals, which allows me to be in a position where um, lots of people know me. And lots of people kind of know me in a certain context. And and the box, the example I talk about here is probably group fitness. You know, within the group fitness world, I've been very fortunate to achieve a level where I'm very well known. And very early on, I learned, like when I first started out, I really seeked the opinion, how people saw me. Uh, these there used to be these internet forums, and forums are a bit of a dead thing nowadays, but, you know, there'd be these forums on Les Mills Instructors, and, you, and they were quite big, and you go in there, and there'd be people writing about me, and and, and unfortunately for me, the majority of it was really positive, <clears throat> and I found for a period I was, I was seeking this approval, I, I would spend, I wouldn't say a lot of time, but there'd be these moments of chunks where I'd be consumed by me seeking confirmation of of my quality in the world by going onto these forums and I remember one day it was a really interesting thing because I I, I spent you know again caught in these little trap moments and I remember one day there was a post about me that was really critical of me as an instructor and I got really upset like I, I was really it kind of really affected me and you can kind of see why that would happen because I was so invested in getting the approval from this this audience that then if anything 
contradicted or, or was not in the positive light, then I was going to be pretty vulnerable to what their audience offered. And this person pretty much went on there and gave this comment about me being kind of a little bit rude as an instructor, the kind of person who was a little bit dismissive of the people around me. And in fairness to myself, if there's one thing I'm really good at as an instructor is my commitment to the people. Like it's, if they'd, if they'd kind of said something where an area where I saw myself as being weak as an instructor, you know, it probably would have hurt, but I probably would have gone, well, you know, they've got it right. But in this area here, like I've always been kind of known as the one of the guys who's most committed to the people. And it's it's in, kind of inherently built within me. And it's also something I kind of take responsibility to. Like I understand, like I'm over here in Taipei right now. And, you know, you are in a position where lots of people want to get some of your attention. And I understand that. And it's kind of a part of the job. And um, at times you're a little bit tired, but, you know, you've got to do that job. But this person was very, very critical of you know, me in that situation, and I got really, really upset, I got, you know, it really, really affected me, and after a while, I realized a really important lesson for me in this kind of role that I get to live in life, where in group fitness, I'm very well known, and it was that you can't believe the good or the bad, it's, it's a bad thing in my life if I spend energy trying to impress people who don't really get to know the true me, and I don't even know where they put their values in their life. And so one thing I discovered in that moment was, for me to go on those forums is actually an unhealthy thing to do in my life. Because these people are making judgments on me from a, a piece of work that I do, like an hour's work that I do maybe three or four times a year. So when they come on and say positive things about me, I can look at it and go, well, it's really nice that in that hour they enjoyed a certain aspect of the skill, but they don't know who I am. And then when they're critical of me, sure, you know, I might be able to look at it and go, well, is this factual? Is there real truth to what they're saying? Or is it actually worth not even looking at that? Because again, they don't really know who I are, who I am. And it was in that moment I really discovered that who am I trying to impress? And who are the people whose judgments of me should I really respect? And should I really... Uh, if I'm thinking about seeking approval from, should I be looking for in my life? And it became really clear pretty quickly that those are the people who spend time with me and have a core understanding of what I'm trying to be. And I, and I think of right now one of my best mates, Jeff. Uh, one of my best mates, Jeff, he's been my, one of my best mates far out for coming on 20 years. We started working in the gym industry in our early 20s and we've just always maintained this really good friendship. And Jeff and I, Generally speaking, kind of just a couple of boys having a laugh most of the time, but we are, we do have these moments of kind of a deeper kind of intimacy with our, well not intimacy is probably not the best word, but we have a deeper kind of level of communication that we share to. And there's this kind of underwritten rule that we keep each other responsible to the standards we think we have for ourselves. And there have been times when Jeff has pulled me up. He's kind of said, hey mate, you, you should you really be doing that? Or is, is that really what you are? And when Jeff turns around and says that to me, I'm like, oh, wow, you know, this is a time where I should really listen. And, and this is somebody who I should be trying to take on their opinion and respect what they are offering me because they know who I are. They see my behaviors in, in a consistent way. And so when I think about who am I trying to impress, well, or maybe not impress is the right word for it, but who, whose judgment should I care about? 
it's really clear that me going on forums and trying to seek the approval of people who, who don't really even know me is a really unhealthy thing to seek. And for me to respect and be open to and be aware of someone like Jeff in my life is a really good use of my energy. So as I'm talking about this, like when you think about those people around you who maybe influence the way you seek guidance in the world or you know direct your need to be for approval, are you trying to impress the right kind of person? Are you influenced by the right kind of person is probably the way to think about it. Are you actually trying to impress people who fundamentally you're not that impressed by as a person in themselves? Like it's the one thing I've learned in my fitness industry, unfortunately, as I got to a higher level in my, my career, I, I discovered that there were some people who were of a high level as in um, climbing that ladder. If I think of the concept of climbing a ladder, going up those rungs, uh, I realized that there were some people that while they were up a higher rung and I could respect some of the aspects of their skill set as a person, that fundamentally as a person I had no real respect for. And, I, and if, if anything, I would I didn't want to be anything like those people. And for that reason, why would I try to impress those people? At the same time, I did meet some people along the way who I did find respect for and I wanted to impress. And, and you know, so I kind of really tried to think about that. I remember years ago, I was doing a, a training camp with a guy and he was, you know, he made a lot of money in Wall Street. And I remember he made a lot of money very young. You know, I don't know how much money, but he pretty much could retire at 30. And he was talking about how one day he went into his office of his boss and he realized, oh, if I stay on this path, I'm going to be you. And when I look at what you are, there's nothing about you that I like. And so I'm spending all my energy trying to impress you when fundamentally you are everything I dislike in the world. And at that moment, you know, he decided to make the shift and move towards you know, a, much, a much more interesting, better life that was you know, obviously proved to be healthier for him. So I suppose that's kind of my first point of what I'm talking about is, is who are you trying to impress and are they worth you trying to impress? But then the second thing is going back to this concept of if we just think of this as an age thing. Now, I know that when I'm around young kids and teenagers and stuff, I kind of want to be liked and it's not that we should suppress that. But the, the only other side of it is, so it's not that I'm saying we shouldn't be seeking the approval or trying to be liked by younger generations. But I think we also want to keep a context of where they are in the world and what they really have to offer. And maybe how we're trying to seek approval of them. Am I trying to seek approval to them just to, to show them that I'm great, to show them that I'm you know, hip in their world? Or am I trying to seek approval through ways that are showing acceptance of self or, or more powerful ways? So maybe just being aware of what, how that is influenced by you but then the second point is then when we go to those who are older than us do you shut yourself off to what they have to offer and some of the wisdom that they have because again in some ways I wonder if there is this kind of seeking of youth approval and and kind of rejection of ages you know any age older than us wisdom and the, the way I think about this is there's probably two ways there's a kind of and I know I'm probably thinking of more older people here is that that whole when we you know you sit down with a grandparent or something and you know you've heard the stories a lot and in some ways you shut off to hearing their stories because you may have heard them before 
Um, and so there's a little bit kind of just the familiarity of their experience that maybe you know. But then the second thing is as well is maybe it's just you shut off because it's a little bit disrespectful that, you know, what do they know about my life? You know, that's the typical kind of teenager to the parent thing, isn't it? You know, when we think about the teenager to the parent in that kind of mid-teen years, it's very much rejecting the parent, going, well, what do you know about the world? And then as they become an adult, they often discover that, oh, my parents' advice was actually pretty wise. And I wonder if we, a lot of us, have this kind of rejection of wisdom because it's a little bit disrespectful. That, well, what do you know about my life? And in fairness, you know, a lot of humans' experience of life are pretty similar, and I'm sure they could offer you some really great wisdom. And so I suppose for my challenge, if you do sit here and kind of recognize that you are maybe rejecting those who are older than me and, and maybe seeking those who are younger, is for the seeking of those who are younger is to really think about how do you, uh, you know, what is the right way for me to prove or to interact with that that's in a way that's empowering for both of us. But then when it comes to those who are older than us, is, is how do I keep open to what they can offer? But then how do I make it my job to explore deeper levels of what they know? Ask hard questions. Like I remember I asked my nana about sex. I remember my nana, she's in her 70s, and, and recently I asked her about sex and, and you know, losing her virginity and um, you know, and the struggles of marriage and life, and, and I asked her really hard questions, and, you know, you, you could tell when I asked, because it was kind of in a, not a public forum, but people were around, you could tell when I asked those kind of questions, people were like, oh my God, you, why would you ask that of your nana? And I was like, she's human. She's had these human experiences, and, and, she, and she wasn't rejecting my, my kind of curiosity around her life, if anything. She shared some really fascinating insights into life, and, you know, I think that's, you know, if, if you are in that situation where you're, you know, those older people in your life kind of just tell you the same crap all the time, well, then maybe you need to dig deeper into exploring what they can offer. And if so, you know, then if you're open to what they can offer, maybe they can give you some insight that can help you live your life a little bit better. I suppose the, the last point I'll just finish on here is that it's not that I'm saying you want to reject youth and you know only be open to wisdom it's it's you know how do i stay open to both in a way that helps me be wiser and helps impact the, those people in positive ways in their lives um jeepers creepers i kind of <laughs> hopefully there's something in there for you guys i'm going to get into the main part of today's show but before i do i just wanted to meet the patrons of the show if you enjoy the show and you want to become a patron of the show just go to bevanjamesisles.com every time i put out a show Whatever patronage you offer to the show then goes on to um, you know support me in what I'm doing and it's really 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 important actually because you know I put a lot of time and energy into this and and I want to do better work and so it's just those people who are helping out I really really appreciate and here are a few of the people who are patrons of the show already Paula the Punisher powerful Marion Clatt and that's Marion the Momentum uh, George the Wild Bill Baker uh, we've got Mary. I've got the power, because it lasts in power, I, I quite like that one, Ginger, the Governor Dave, or Dave, <laughs> Ginger Dave, and it's the Governor, uh, Phoebe Sanders, and she's the Stark, and then we've got Michael Noak, and he's the Hammer, so those people who have become patrons of the show, if you want to become a patron, just go to www.bevanjamesisles.com, and yeah, I'm going to put some music on, and let's rock and roll, and get into the main part of today's show.
about 10, maybe 15 years ago, the kind of the advent or, or the addition of reality TV shows around entertainment became a really massive thing. Uh, the, the pop shows, the pop idols, the talent shows where you'd have a series of judges judging people trying to be successful and probably ultimately kind of showing, creating stardom I suppose or, or you know expressing and showing their t- talent and you know getting an opportunity to be famous and those shows instantly kind of became this this massive thing in public consciousness you know this whole uh everyone knew about these shows and there was kind of a very clever formula around it kind of let's laugh at the people who are very unsuccessful and then let's show these really talented people doing what they do and in some ways you know when it first started out there was this kind of breaking the mold of what a talented person is you know we think of like a Susan Boyle who I think it was the name Susan Boyle was the opera singer who you know came on stage yeah, to be honest they kind of painted her to be a bit of a muppet and then you know she starts singing and she's a bloody goddess as a singer and these shows you know nowadays we're probably a bit you know we're probably a bit more used to it and they are they are a staple of you know entertainment but at the same time at first they were very kind of overwhelming and if there's one name that really kind of sits on top of that world, it's Simon Cowell. And Simon Cowell was a very interesting character when he came out because it was funny. I actually had read a book, a comedy book. There was this guy, and I can't remember the name of the book, but there was a guy. It was a guy who really just wanted to get a one, a, a number one song somewhere in the world. And so the whole book's about how he can get a number one song. And in the end of the book, he does get one in some strange Russian country, which maybe only has like a couple hundred thousand people. But in the book, he, he actually went and saw Simon Cowell before these shows had kind of come out. And it was really interesting talking about how even how abrasive and blunt even Simon was at, those sta- at that stage. And, you know, Simon Cowell became this, this massive figure in the world basically because he could be so honest and so upfront, but almost in an uncaring way around what he was currently seeing in front of him. And in some ways you kind of think, well, you know, there was this almost like this kind of, well, what a rude kind of character. And and, and in some ways you could, could probably understand why he was this way inclined because basically he was the gatekeeper of dreams for lots of people. And I imagine, you know, even before the point of the show, he had spent his whole life kind of having to deal with people coming to him with his dreams. And, and obviously through that journey, he'd learnt to be very abrupt and abrasive about how to deliver you know his his thoughts to those and people in front of him because you know in that world that American Idol world even before he was on that show the kind of music industry I'm sure he you know as much as we laughed at the unsuccessful people on American Idol he probably faced a lot of those people often and so his life had taught him just to be very kind of you know get to the point tell them what they need to hear and, and move on and so as we watched Simon Cowell, you know, who was maybe a product of his environment, but maybe that was his way, his personality anyway, there was this kind of fascination of having someone like this in front of us. And in some ways, you know, I know as I watched it, I was like, oh, I would never want to be this person. But then at the same time, you kind of had to respect the balls that he had. <laughs> I don't know if I should the balls he had, but, you know, I just did. But kind of his, his ability just to reject people in, in almost a very dismissive way and not necessarily, you know, and as much as you thought maybe it was uncaring, it was also, 
you know, you, you kind of respected the fact that he had the ability to do that. It, it was such a rare thing to see, and and it's it was such a it's such a probably a rare interaction that most of us don't experience in our lives. This kind of lack of fear around confrontation, and. I'm just thinking, that I always think about this podcast, it's a funny one, isn't it, because it's called Fitness Behaviour, and I'm not really sure if today's show has got anything to do with fitness at all, but yeah, I, I think maybe I should change the show to Bevan James Old's show, but so I can be a bit more, I don't know, specific to what the show kind of goes on about, but anyway, anyway, maybe I'll check it, you know, do some press-ups at the end. This fear of confrontation that Simon or the lack of fear that confrontation that Simon Cowell presented to us, to me, was maybe one of the aspects of what he did that we respected the most. A while ago, I was doing some coaching with a guy, and he was in a job situation where he felt he was being disrespected. It was one of those situations, which I'm sure many of us have experienced in life, where he was being worked unbelievably hard he has been worked unreasonably hard and at the same time while he's being worked unreasonably hard he felt there was no support so what was being asked of him was was kind of really massive and uh so the demands were high there was no support along the way there, there was no support or kind of acknowledgement of the effort that he was putting in and if anything he felt that some of the credit for the work that he was doing was being taken by others around him. So he was overworking, underappreciated, undersupported, and almost being disrespected because, you know, some of the credit was, you know, for the effort that he was putting in was not being seen. And when I caught up with my client, you know, this was one of my clients who I probably only see monthly. Most of my clients I tend to see weekly or fortnightly, but uh, this person I only really catch up monthly just because they were kind of so busy. And when I caught up with this person, this the situation had been going on for about probably three weeks at this point. And it was really fascinating to see this person in this place at the moment because it's really funny. Like most of my clients I, I deal with, you know, they don't live in New Zealand and most of them are overseas. So I kind of, it's all done on Skype really. And it's really fascinating even on Skype how quickly you can pick up how a client is feeling. I, I think of some of my recent clients. I've had a client who's been through some really tough times. And when I first started working with this person, you turn on the video and you know straight away stuff's up. And then, you know, I just think of the last few sessions where they've really progressed and I'm really proud of, the, you know, some of the progress this person's made. And you get on Skype and it's all, you know, you're seeing a happy person straight away and just this, that shift is really massive. And with this client, that's what I saw when I turned on the Skype. You know, I, t I turned on and there was just a picture of stress, unhappiness and unhealthiness in front of me. And I was kind of like, wow, Jeepers Creepers, I need to see what's happening here because something's up. And so we kind of sat down, we started talking about the situation and they expressed to me how they really were in this place of underappreciation, under support, overworked and, you know, and, and almost feeling disrespected. And we, we started to identify what were the costs of being in this place. And there were lots of costs. There, you know, he wasn't sleeping well, his eating had gone out the back door, you know, exercise had fallen away. The costs were massive. You know, those were some of the really clear ones. But if we look at a deeper level, he was living in anger, frustration. Uh, he was upset. You know, so so when we think about the energy he was living in, like, can you imagine what you feel like when you feel like when you're angry? 
Can you imagine what you feel like when you feel frustrated? Well, imagine what it's like when you've been living like for that for three or four weeks. How would that affect your life? And that's what this guy was feeling like. So it became pretty clear that something needed to change. There really needed to be a massive change in what was happening in his moment in his life because fundamentally he just couldn't stay in this place for a long period of time. Like the costs were, were big and, you know, three weeks is a long time to be in that place. But if it continued on, what were going to be the bigger costs? You know, and unfortunately this guy was starting to move towards some behaviours like starting to drink at night as a way to kind of relieve the stress. So, th- you know, he was beginning to open the door to some costs that were, were higher and who knows where they could lead. Well, we, 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 we identified that something needed to change and it was pretty clear, you know, he knew this and that's partly why he was working with me. And it was pretty clear that a conversation needed to happen and the conversation needed to happen with his boss. The conversation needed to happen with his boss where he needed to go to his boss and communicate what was happening. That something needed to change because if he were to stay on this path, you know, who knows the outcomes, but they're obviously not going to be very positive. And as we were sitting there, he knew deep down that that conversation needed to happen. And in fairness, he identified that that conversation probably needed to happen three weeks ago. But he couldn't do it. He couldn't have the conversation that was the answer, or at least would open the door to finding the answer to getting out of the situation. And, and I was really curious to why he felt he couldn't do it. And ultimately it came down to he was afraid of confrontation. He was so fearful of confrontation and the judgment confrontation and, and that moment where he would have to talk to somebody and, and express something that he may feel would they would be disappointed in or upset or, <clears throat> or, or you know they may respond in, a, respond in a really emotionally kind of confronting way that he had created a moment where he was trapped. He was in a situation that was very dangerous for him. There was a way to get out of it. But because of this fear around confrontation and the moment that he'd have to get through to, to create some understanding and a path forward, nothing was happening. And if anything, he was going down a much, or he was going down a very dangerous path because of it. It became very clear in this conversation that we needed to work on him having this conversation. And we, we really worked on it. Like, we really worked on it. We, we thought of scripts that he could do. We, we kind of mentally prepared him. We thought about how we'd visualize and um, kind of use affirmations and, um, you know, find an entry point. So, you know, so to see the moment before he actually had it, to almost have had the conversation a hundred times, you know, preparing like like an athlete would for your hard moment on how he was going to deal with it, to, to consider how he would approach it in a way that was gave him the best chance of doing it. We kind of sat down and we really dug deep into, well, this conversation needs to happen. And if it's going to happen, what's the highest chance that it can happen? And then B, how can we make sure that we increase the chances of it being successful? So after doing this work, we spent you know a bit of time really trying to figure out what this was. He went away and uh, maybe the next week, I can't remember the exact time frames, but we, we called up 
not long afterwards. And I was really curious to see if he'd, A, if he'd had the conversation, and actually what had happened, no, I remember this now, he didn't actually have the conversation at first. Um, when I got back to him, he'd, he'd emailed me a couple of times, and he did this thing which I find really fascinating. The conversation was so hard, so I think we caught up again maybe a week later or, or whatever in the next period of time, and he still hadn't had the conversation. And what had started to happen was, as much as the situation hadn't changed and all those things that had really frustrated him, the, the being overloaded, the, the non-appreciation and non-support, that was all still there. He was justifying to himself why it wasn't as bad as what it was. So what was happening in his head is, is as much as he actually hated a situation, he was justifying why it was okay purely because he was so fearful of this moment of confrontation. So the fear of confrontation didn't allow him to address the problem, but then started to make him look at the situation and go, maybe it's not that bad. Now, fascinating thing happens in that moment. In that moment, he's losing self-respect. In that moment, when he's looking at a situation which is obviously unhealthy for him, and obviously comes at a massive cost to his life, but he starts to look at it and go, you know what, it's not that bad. It's He's losing self-respect. Because he's basically saying to the world, I'll drop my standards and my self-respect and, and you know, my, my ability to look after myself and have to fight for myself in these tough moments. And so you will learn that you can walk over me. And in this situation, I kind of didn't let him off the hook. I kind of, I could hear him to kind of, you know, justifying sitting in this bad situation. And, and as in my role as a coach, as kind of the mentor, it is, it's, it's to really question and challenge. And so, so I did it and I kind of said to him that kind of point, well, I think you're not really addressing the problem. It's not that you are, it's not as bad as what you think. It's just that you're letting go of what's your kind of self-respect in this moment because you're so fearful of the confrontation. So, uh, and, and as we talked about it, he was pretty upfront and said, you know what, you're right, you know, it's, it's just I find it so hard to have this conversation. So again, we just worked at it, we worked at it and um, we went away and we we tried to find a, a, you know, a more way where he's going to feel comfortable to doing it. The next time I get on the call to him, I'm now confronted with a different character. You know, those last two conversations was I saw a stressful person who was obviously had the cost of the stress. And then the next time I, I turned on, I, I knew he'd had the conversation. A, he'd email me, but you could just tell that he had because suddenly there was a sense of a relief in the way I dealt with him, you know, and what I saw in front of me. A sense of, there was no tension. You know, in the past when I saw him, there was tension. When I looked at this person, I don't know if it was calm, but just the tension was gone. And he'd had the conversation. He'd gone into the office and he talked to me and he talked about how, you know, how scary it was going into the office and, you know, having this conversation. And he went in and, you know, he went in and expressed what he said and, you know, he's kind of fearful that maybe the boss would go off with him. And he said that the boss was absolutely phenomenal. The boss was amazing. The boss, A, it turned out that the boss... You know, this guy had thought that the boss had been quite dismissive. It turned out that the, the boss actually opened up and admitted that he was under a lot of stress from people above him. And uh, and he probably saw that he'd actually been very unsupportive of this person at that time. Um, 
he realised that he'd overloaded this guy and it was actually unfair the amount of workload that he gave on him and, he, and so he actually delegated some work to other areas so he gave him more realistic load. He asked him, how can I support you more? He apologised that he'd been a bit distant. You know, the boss responded in a way that was really quite phenomenal. He, he was obviously a pretty good manager once he was aware of the situation. And uh, and so this guy left this conversation in a much better place and uh, that frustration, that anger, the you know, the cost of all that, the drinking, the energy, all that kind of stuff just instantly disappeared. So the, so the benefits of it were, were really clear. But the actual real benefit was that his self-perception around his self-respect grew in that moment. That because he wasn't willing to compromise himself because of his fear of confrontation... He walked out of that room, obviously in a much better situation because the manager was fantastic, but also with a sense of dignity because I stand up for myself. I have pride in myself. I, I, I'm not going to be the person who compromises myself just because the confrontation moment is a little bit hard. And it was a really interesting discussion, that next discussion we had, because it was really, it was almost a very liberating moment in this person's life, because they realized that how much in their life they'd compromised their self-respect and their self-dignity because of their fear of confrontation. Now, when we talk about fear of confrontation, I think it's a really important to acknowledge here that we're not just talking about angry and yelling at each other kind of situations, you know. And, and, and sometimes that will lead to that. Like, the nice thing about this story is that the boss was great. But, you know, maybe the boss wouldn't have been great. And, you know, then he would have made different choices. You know, maybe he would have made different choices, you know, if he went and the boss was horrible. Well, then he could have made choices and gone, you know what, this isn't the right career for me. Well, this job isn't the right job for me. Um, so I'm not saying that, you know, being confronting is always going to lead to the happy outcome but I think probably my main point here is that we have to be defenders of our self-respect and too often in life that fear of confrontation or the fear of expressing how we feel or the fear of judgment or the fear of disapproval from others comes at a cost to our self-respect is this something you is this something you experience in your life? Can you think of right now some moments in your life where you know that you give up and and you do that thing where you look at it and you go, oh, you know, it's not that bad. When ultimately you kind of do know that that, that there is that is kind of worse than you're making out. And then you compromise yourself in ways that you don't like, which ultimately make you look in the mirror and make you feel a little bit lesser. Now, uh, if that's the case, then it's worth spending some energy in your life learning to become someone who can become a defender of what's important to you and what you're not willing to give up. The, the world will treat you how you let the world treat you. The world will treat you how you let the world treat you. Yeah, I remember as a young man, this is, this is, I, was, I was a prick, there's no denying it. When I was a young man, when it came to girls, some of the, my behaviours were just, you know, despicable really. Like, you know, I, partly I had no self-esteem and, and all the rest of it, and I can justify it that way, but really it wasn't. And I remember there's that saying, treat a mean, keep them keen. And, and, and uh, there were some girlfriends I really had that with, that, 
you know, you, you, you're just going to diminish their self-respect. And if anything, for some strange reason, they become attached to you. And, and I, I know I had some girlfriends who I was awful to. Like, I, I was a prick. And, um, and if anything, because they never stood up for themselves, I would just treat them worse. Uh, you know, like, God, I don't look back in pride in those moments. Like, what a horrible person I was. The interesting thing for me looking at that, if, not just in my own self-reflection, but as in how when they let me treat them poorly, I just treated them more poorly. And in, in some ways, that's what happens in the world is we need to become the defenders. We need to become the warriors of how we're going to allow the world to treat, to treat us, to teach us or to interact with us. And if we teach the world that I can walk, they can walk over us, you're probably going to wake up in a world where the world does walk over you and your self-respect, you know, is, is kind of suffering. I remember, you know, you know, me being the pricky boyfriend, but I remember when uh, later on I started working at, uh, when I first started working at the gym, I had a manager by the name of Maureen and Maureen was renowned as being hard, being hard-ass. Like she was kind of a Simon Cowell. And, and, and this is the time in our industry where, you know the awful the awful aspect of the fitness industry is that you get told if you don't look a certain way why that's not good enough and, and particularly it's a really dangerous thing for females because girls who are actually pretty healthy looking girls will get told they're too fat and it's it's you know it's I really struggle with that part of my industry but and Maureen in that time and admittedly Maureen's the lovely person and she's really evolved like I know Maureen really well to this day and she's she's shifted so much as a person and now Maureen like I, she represents love and you see her working with youth and in a way that's like so supportive and so loving but you know back in the day she was a hard ass and, and a hard ass in a way that was very much you know you don't deserve my respect you know that's that's how the that's how the relationship started you do not deserve my respect and um, you know you're going to have to work hard to get it and you you might get there but I'm going to make it really hard for you to get there and that was kind of the interactions that she had and I started working under Maureen and uh, like my first conversation with her after I taught my first class she rang me after I taught my first class and said do you really think you should be an instructor? Like that was the conversation I got from her and um, you know and this was something I really wanted to be doing in my life so I had to beg and kind of say oh yes, 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 yes well I remember early on Maureen basically uh, decided that she was going to make some changes to the timetable and, and I was doing quite well and so I was one of these instructors who came along and was pretty successful and she just decided she was going to put me on a class and uh, because she felt I could do well at it. But she didn't even ask me. She just, <laughs> I just go, I get, get in like an email or well, do we get emails back in those days? It's been a while. But I got an email saying, you know, you're on this class that starts next week and, and so on. And I remember thinking, wow, like she didn't even ask me. And I thought to myself, I need to let Maureen know that this, you know, she at least needs to, to ask me. And so I rang her and I said, Maureen, um, you know, like I, I appreciate I got the class. I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm really happy that I got the class. But... I'd really appreciate if you at least interact with me with these these kind of experiences or these kind of moments. And um, and, and her thing was to me, oh, well, you're young. That's what she said to me. And it was a really interesting moment that showed her kind of, her her place in her life at that time is that, well, you have to prove your respect to me. I'm just, I can walk over you. But because I had that conversation with her, suddenly my respect from her improved. And actually Maureen, to be honest, 
you know, there's a few people who are real fundamental to me being successful in his career. And Maureen actually became the biggest, one of the biggest advocates for, for showing the right people, you know, because a lot of success is about the networks that you have in life. Maureen became a big advocate of me actually getting opportunities. And, and I sometimes wonder if it's because I defended myself that I actually stood up to Maureen, not, not in a kind of mean, arrogant way, but just to kind of said, no, I'm someone who deserves some respect. And before that reason, she treated me with respect. And at the same time, at that moment in her life, she wasn't treating a lot of people with a lot of respect. They had to prove it to them. And that goes back to that example of our world will treat us based on how we allow them to treat us. So if you're listening to today's conversation, or, you know, conversation, no, is it a conversation I'm talking to you? In some ways I feel we're having a conversation. I hope we're having a conversation. Like I, I know you don't get to talk back, although some people email, but I, I hope you feel this is a conversation because, um, you know, there is an intimacy to this podcasting thing that we do. But if we, if, we, if we kind of think about today's conversation, and I know it's not a conversation, but I'm going to call it a conversation. Do you allow this to happen in your life? Do you allow yourself to lose self-respect due to the fear of confrontation? And as you're thinking about this right now, what is the cost to your life in doing this? Like my client, do you sit in frustration? Do you, do you feel you lose opportunity? Does it come at an energy cost? Does it mean, is it one of the reasons you drink too much at night or eat too much comfort food or, or never do look after yourself because you're not worth looking after yourself? Now, if you can identify that I am in this place, then the next question becomes, how do I develop a way out of this way? How do I develop a way of a person who can stand up for myself and demand the self-respect that I have for myself so that my world learns, oh, I have to teach, treat this person this way. Now, to be honest, it's, um, it's not going to be easy if you are someone who's kind of had a life of being disrespected. disrespected. It's, it's, it's not going to be easy. It will take time and it will take work. And, and so like when we look at the tools around how I can develop within myself, I think there's some really important tools that you want to do. Is first of all is to, to, to build the muscle slowly. So, you know, like that work situation is probably a big one in that situation. But where are some small wins that I can start with? Where are some ways where maybe I let myself be disrespectful that I could probably address right now? So maybe you look at certain people that you feel comfortable addressing these areas with. Maybe it's certain topics that you're less vulnerable in that you could you could work on. So first of all, really, you know, like the idea is that, okay, within a period of time, I want to be the kind of person who can stand up and defend myself in this world with the self-respect. Uh, if I were to develop a pathway of me building my confidence in this area, where would I start with easy wins? So which areas would I be more willing to kind of address? And which people would I feel more comfortable addressing it in? Then, then we start to move into the how. Well, well, what's the best way for me to go about doing this? Now, when I, when I say confrontation, we just kind of inherently think, you know, negative. You know, oh, it's going to be a yelling match. It's going to be this. It's not about that at all. It's, it's, it, sure, it may lead to that at times. But 
ultimately is that's the how is a really important thing like with my client we had to really think about how he was going to go and what was the word what what did he want his boss to feel so they realized that he wasn't coming in it with the anger and frustration that he set in it was more to come in and to kind of go oh okay well um the, the you know it was for him to actually find a place where he was calm relaxed and um was open to just expressing what he was feeling and that's you know so when you think about okay with the small area the person the area and I'm going to develop this kind of confidence in my ability to stand up for myself then when I think about the how is all, first of all there's probably there's a few aspects here is how do I need to be within myself before I even had that moment and that was one of the things we did with my client we got him to really find we got him to do some breathing exercises we got him to do a little bit of kind of affirmation you know to find calmness before he even went into that conversation you know, how am I going to communicate what I need to say? How am I going to make sure that they understand what I'm trying to express to them? How do I do it in a way that points doesn't point the finger at them? You know, because often what people do is they, well, here's what you're doing wrong. You know, so you know, how do I express that? Because when you say that to someone, what when when you tell me I'm doing something wrong, what am I going to do? I'm going to put my gloves on and get ready for a fight. Whereas if you say to me, I feel this way because of the situation. How do we work through this? Well, that's a much different way of approaching that problem. So then when we think about the hows, you know, again, how do I prepare myself? How do I get myself in a good state? How do I contemplate what's going to happen? And how do I prepare myself for communicating this in the best way possible? Another thing to think about is how do I deal with the different outcomes? This is one thing I did with my client. Like we did say, well, best case scenario, he turns around and says he's a rock star, which he turned out to be. But what if he does yell at you? What if what if he gets really angry at you? How are you going to deal with that? Or what if it's kind of midway where you kind of get a little bit and you don't get the other bit? And so you really are kind of preloading, pre-planning the way you're going to deal with this moving forward. It's all of these types of tools we need to add into our life and, and to realize that this is an area that we want to practice as we move forward so that as time moves on we have more of these small wins and we gain more self-respect for ourselves to the point where ultimately we are you know we become a person who teaches the world that we need to be respected and then if you are somebody who teaches the world that you need to be respected what does your life become what opportunities do you gain from the world how do you see the world and how does your esteem and, you know, the way you see the world yourself grow? There are a lot of people out there right now who are suppressed and, and because they feel they've been rejected by the world so often. But they've also learned to look for the reasons why this is good enough. And if every time they look at why this is good enough, they're losing a little bit more of themselves. If those people were able to to develop this kind of ability to to maintain self-respect, to not be afraid of confrontation, to and it's not that you have to be Simon Cowell, but to find a way where confrontation can work in your life, and 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 maybe even confrontation isn't the best word, but the way to address what needs to be addressed. What would that open them up to in their lives? Ultimately, I feel. As I always say, that if you become somebody who has the ability to maintain self-respect and teach your world this, you're going to be a much better version of yourself. 
Um, hopefully you got something out of that. It's an interesting area because uh, I know far out. That, that, that could be an area we can look in lots of areas. There's relationship respect, there's the work respect, there's the friends respect, there's just everyday interaction respect. So, you know, hopefully hopefully for those people who needed to hear that, that you're willing to do the work. Um, yeah, that's, that's an interesting topic and it's something I think that there's real value in working in that on that side of yourself if you feel you need to. I, I do have a couple of emails, but... Unfortunately, because I'm in Taipei, I don't actually have my file here for the podcast. So what I'll do for those people who have sent through the emails, I'll flick them on next, the episode that I do in a couple of weeks from now. Um, I have, haven't actually arranged my interview for a couple of weeks, but I've got the person in mind who I want to interview. So hopefully I can arrange that because uh, this person is an extremely amazing thinker and somebody who um, has the ability to look deeply in the world in ways that kind of blows my mind away so fingers crossed I'll be able to get them on um, what else am I going to say just once again if you want to become a patron of the show please go to bevanjamesisles.com you'll notice that there's a patron link on that page just click on that go through the patronage page it's, it's all very kind of simple and then that way you can just support me in what I'm doing if you feel there's value to your life through what I'm doing um, and you want to check a couple of dollars my way that would really go really really appreciate that um, what else is happening now? That's, that's pretty much it. I'm, I'm very much got a kind of. It's the one thing I say about fitness is it's, it's a nice industry around this time of the year. Like in New Zealand right now, it's summer, and we're heading into our summer season. And and fitness dies around the Christmas season because it tends to be party season. People tend to go out more, and uh, you know commitments in other areas come along in fitness, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, is the first thing to get dropped. And so in this next period of time, you know, fitness really fades away and uh, I'm going to be, so, you know, pretty much after this t- trip to Taipei, my year really dies off. And in some ways it's quite cool because I've I've got the opportunity to catch up on a few things that, you know, have fallen by the wayside. I've done a little bit of study this year and it's kind of, I'm close to finishing, but I need a few more just solid days where I can knock it out. So I'm going to be doing that. Um my band, you know, we're going to record some songs over the next period of time, so, well, hopefully once we've recorded some songs, I'll put them up on here, and if you guys could support that, that'd be really cool as well, um, yeah, it's just a cool time, obviously, friends and family and all that time of year, so I'm looking forward to that, so, uh, yeah, anyway, I think that will pretty much do, I'm going to, I've got to go teach a couple classes today, and then, yeah, I'm going to go, I don't know, hang out in Taipei, so you guys have a wonderful day, I'll see you in a couple of weeks with the next show, just one thing, if you want to spread the word about the show, that'd be really great, you could go to you know, my, my website, spread my website, or um, put on Facebook, or Instagram, or Twitter, or any of those kind of social sharing networks, lastly I will say, um, I had a thought in my head and it's just totally popped out, sharing the show... Oh, just if you want to get the my, my newsletter emailed to you, just go to bevanjamesos.com. It doesn't cost you anything. And uh, yeah, I just send it out every kind of couple of weeks or just whenever I release a piece. And yeah, and that way you just know, know when I'm putting stuff out there. Also, I always put this podcast out there when I do this as well. And I put the podcast out every second Monday. So you guys have a wonderful time and I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks and we'll keep this conversation going.